podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcasts app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombe show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you'll subscribe to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombe show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombe show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. Two terrific guests from ESPN stateside coming your way this week. Leading off, Mike Tannenbaum. These days, of course, a regular on the breakfast show, the get-up show with Greedy and Dan Olofsky and co. But of course, a long time in the NFL, in the front offices of the New York Jets, where he was GM, the Miami Dolphins, where he was key in terms of their personnel development. So a real insider on that front. Great to get Mike's perspective on how the season is shaping up, all the challenges teams are facing in the offseason, the latest in terms of what preseason games are going to look like. Really, really interesting chat with Mike. And then after that, Washington. Wow, what has been going on there in the last 10 days, two weeks? Extraordinary stuff. So ESPN Washington insider John Kime joins us to break it all down and tell us everything that you need to know about it. So looking forward to it. We will get straight into it with ESPN's Mike Tannebaum. Mike Tannebaum, good to see you. And for the benefit of our podcast listeners who can't see us at the moment, you have already, as we were getting ready to roll, pointed out the Peloton uh, behind me. And it turns out you're a fellow Peloton enthusiast. Uh, how often do you, do you spin on the, on, the, on the Peloton? Well, you know, I, I want to be humble here, but I, I would say <laughs> I, uh, I am known to frequent the Peloton and uh, thoroughly enjoy it, actually. And I enjoy the international aspect of it. I think they do a mm. great job. I really, and also, I love it. I love what it stands for, the community, uh, the wellness aspect, and uh, for, unfortunately, all the troubled things that we're dealing with in our society, I do think it's, it's really cool to be in, you know, some of the instructor's apartments in Munich or the London studio, so it, I really enjoy it, and uh, a lot of people at ESPN, we, we talk about it quite a bit. Oh, good. I feel, even though I'm across the pond, I feel closer to the, to the ESPN family as a result of that. What is your Peloton approach? Do you go with the playlists on the, the instructors queue up or do you turn them down and crank up the, the Tanaban playlist? So actually, there's a great ESPN tie-in to this. So um, it's a little bit of a hybrid. And actually, since we are talking about Peloton, ESPN and international uh, sort of uh, activities, I could tie it all together. So as you may know, four days a week right now, get up in the morning follows Korean baseball. So we have to be in our seats by the bottom of the eighth inning. So oftentimes I will take the, there's a 6 a.m. East Coast time call. I will right. take that call. I will then do the Peloton for either 30 or 45 minutes, depending on how much time 
or how fast the game is going or slow the game is going. Right. Then I have my emergency smoothie, and then, <laughs> then I'm on getup. And unfortunately, what happened to me, as you guys may have seen, I, I was sitting on – the camera was on. We were not on yet, and they filmed me with this enormous smoothie. <laughs> yeah. And I got, a, I got a hard time because I drink it right from the smoothie. And the reason, of course, I do that is being the great teammate that I am at home, sure. if you drink out of the blender – it's one less dish that you have to wash. Then why, why would you have to take something out of the smoothie, put it in the cup? Now you got to, you know, wash the blender, got to wash the cup. Right. If you drink right from the blender, you, now you have, you know, half the sort of, you know, cleanup to do. So it's all about efficiency. It's all about ESPN. It's all about international. I love it. Being considerate, a considerate family, family man. That, that's what that story tells me. Uh, the, it's interesting, the, the Get Up crew. Uh, so is everybody in? Because Dan, of course, we, were, we hooked up with when we were out in Miami. And I can imagine he, he, uh, he likes to spin as well. Greedy too, is the, is the whole crew Peloton mad? Yeah, I think they are. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm a, I, I love it, you know, because, again, it's about wellness. It's about competition. And um, I, the instructors are great. You know, I feel like the less the music I like, the older I feel. You know, like I – so that, that, that's like the, the one bummer. So, you know, hey, there's a grateful do, There's a Grateful Dead playlist you could – Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and there – you know, the, the, there was an 80s disco that was uh, really oh, good. Nice. Which, if my, if my kids ever listen to the podcast, they're definitely rolling their eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, as are, as are mine as well. Great. Well, listen, it's really good to catch up with. There's a ton I want to get into with you, so let's get cracking. Um, starting with the news, breaking in the last 24 hours, NFL PAs have told its players there are going to be zero preseason games. I mean, that has moved very quickly. It went from two, then to one, and it looked like that the one was going to be the compromise. Now it seems to go have gone down to zero. So what's behind that, that swift change? Yeah, I think that's a very sensible approach given where we are with the pandemic, which is, look, just the, you know, the less games, the less opportunity for people, unfortunately, to get sick, which we know people are going to contract the virus. Um, I think it puts an enormous, an enormous, massive advantage to continuity. And just to be very specific, you know, the eyes of the football world are talking about opening day where you're going to have Tom Brady and Bruce Arians against Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Well, Drew Brees and Sean Payton have had thousands of games and reps and walkthroughs and practices, meetings, and Bruce Arians and Tom Brady have never taken one snap together. That is hugely consequential. We could go to the NFC East and look at three of the four teams made huge changes in coaching staffs, play callers, um, and we don't even know who's going to be the quarterback in Washington. You know, you look at the enormous advantage Philadelphia has. So I, I think in terms of wins and losses, it's going to translate this year. Why is that so significant? Because obviously any new significant protagonist, be it a head coach, a coordinator, a quarterback to a situation, clearly is at a disadvantage with what's going on with COVID and the unorthodox preseason. But why is the lack of a preseason game in particular an issue there? Because that's where you make your mistakes and learn. And that's where you, you have the reps. There's nothing like going to a game. And I know this sounds so fundamental, but – this is just feedback from players from dealing with it for over 20 years. Like when you're a rookie or you're a, a first time player in a new situation, you want to know like where the parking lot is. You want to know where the training room is on game day. You want to know how to get to the field. You want to, there's a million things that you don't know. Like, and just to take you behind the curtains, like for the married players, again, the text from their wives or girlfriends, like, Hey, where do I go? Where are my tickets? Like where's right. daycare? And those little things 
you want your players laser focused on their opponent. And there's a million things that happen in a preseason game that no one will ever know or understand, but it ways to get the kinks out. And again, that's why I think, you know, on that opening day, you know, if you're the saints, you've gone to the super bowl, the Superdome a thousand times, like, you know, what, it, what to do, where to go. Um, there's so many protocols in place that it's just it's it's going to be an enormous advantage for the teams that have continuity. I think it's a really really good point. You can apply that familiarity. I think is a really underestimated thing, and even in as you say, in some of the simplest aspects to that, I, I completely agree. I completely agree that routine, that process, it is fundamental. We saw at the weekend, Mike, players taking to Twitter uniformly. I was on air on doing my radio show and. Our first guest on it uh, was Ross Tucker. He said, look, since you've been on air, this has happened. And it was this coordinated, uh, Twitter specifically, uh, uniform uh, approach from leading players, senior players, expressing their concerns over health and safety protocols. We're seeing player power uh, once again, because of course, a few weeks back with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, that was quite significant in changing the NFL's official trajectory. And, and it's happened again. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think the players have found their voice. It's an effective one. And I think the dynamics have changed. Now, with that said, I think context here is critical, which is they just agreed, they, the league and the Players Association, to a 10-year extension on the CBA. So I think consequentially on the fundamental economics, those are kind of locked into place. Now, look, we got to get through this pandemic and the temporary loss of significant revenue. But with that said, I think we're seeing a sea change on some of these uh, intangibles and non-economics, be it um, the social injustice issues, which obviously is a, a very, you know, it's, it's a very passionate issue for a number of players. And I think they've done a great job of, of uh, leveraging their platform appropriately. Um, so I think there is a sea change. I guess my question is, and just observing things, what that, if we could go back in time to January could they? Could the players have used that same technique for an economic benefit? And again, we'll never know that, but it's, it's a very interesting discussion. It is a really interesting point. And do you, do you think, kind of connected with that that point, that players are gaining more traction, more leverage than ever before? Yeah, I, I think that's clear. I think Adam Silver's approach of collaboration with the players—not that things are perfect there. You know, they never are, but. When you look at the four sports and the bumps in the road that Major League Baseball have had, um, certainly more so than others, I just think Roger Goodell has done a good job this offseason. And I think there's ways that the league on non-economics can keep evolving to a more of a player-driven, player-sort-of-centric approach, which I think they're doing with, like, for example, the decals on the back of the helmets uh, in terms of, like, Black Lives Matter or to honor mm-hmm. other people that have been you know, affected by social injustice, which I think is, you know, really healthy, pragmatic. Um, obviously, we've seen it now with the Washington Redskins changing their name, which, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people feel is long overdue. So clearly the players have a much more significant voice. But just back to that Twitter play that the players engendered on over the weekend. Uh, why do you think teams allowed themselves, unless you're going to tell me it was entirely conscious, but it did strike me as odd that teams make this announcement or the NFL makes an announcement that training camps are going to open. And yet clearly things weren't in place to the degree that it prompted the players to, to kick off about it to, to, to that level. How on earth with the NFL being one of the most 
organized and fluent and together businesses in the world and the teams that, you know, the, the sum of the NFL being the sum of the team's parts, how did each individual franchise and the collective let itself get there? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know, but um, we're clearly in a different, I think your points will take, we're, we're in a different spot than where we were. I mean, that, it's yeah. Uh, fundamental. Yeah. 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 I guess yeah, there's no precedent really to that. So, with no preseason games then, the final thing on this, do you think this will create a precedent going forwards? Because we've seen some coaches quite vocal about there should be less anyway. I mean, Sean McVay, I remember, was has been quite vocal on the, on the subjects in the past, irrespective of COVID and everything else. And there does seem to be, I mean, from your time you know, in the game, in, in the front office, assigned and aligned with teams, but also as, as a broadcaster and an analyst, is there a kind of mixed opinion in, in the league as to the important significance of preseason games? Is it divided opinion? Do you think we might go forwards with next year two or one? Or what do you think is going to happen long term? I think we got to give that a grade of incomplete because I think we will have preseason games. I don't think there's any doubt about it, but maybe it's not four. Mm. Uh, you know, with the advent of the 17-game season just around the corner, I think all that will be looked upon with a fresh lens. And maybe we'll see you know, maybe we'll see three games, two of which have to be played by players in the league three years or less. Or, you know, I, I think right. it'll continue to evolve and probably look differently than what it was. How much do you get from scrimmages versus preseason games? Your points before notwithstanding, just from a, in terms yeah. of a, on the field. Yeah. That- yeah, that's a great question. I think you get a lot of good work done. And I know a lot of teams were very disappointed with, um, in just in terms of, uh, not having those scrimmages because you could script very productive and competitive periods. So, hey, we're going to go do red zone, you know, good against good. We're going to go do pass rush here. We're going to do one versus one, linebackers versus running backs. Mm-hmm. And you can get really good work done and evaluate your players and put them in, like, real situations. Um, so not having those is, I think, you know, uh, very disappointing. I know a lot of teams were, you know, uh, disappointed that, you know, wasn't able to get done. Yeah, 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 I bet. One of the other things that's come out, rosters uh, set at 80 during camp, right? The, that's been announced. So I guess the whole roster management, the culling, is obviously going to be different this year. How different? And again, with your you know, vast experience, front office and looking at personnel and, and, and going through that process, how are GMs and, uh, and uh, teams going to tackle the roster culling and, and the finalization of that this year? I think incumbency will be key. I think... Um, the veterans who know what to do will have a monumental advantage just because there's no, again, everything we just talked about, joint practices, preseason mm. games. So I think as we talk about, you know, the final roster, it's going to be a huge advantage if you're a veteran and you know what to do. Mm. That seems to be the uniform approach, right? Those that have got that familiarity and cohesion are going to have a, have a massive advantage. What do you make of the player opt-outs clause? And do you think we'll see it activated? I don't think we'll see a lot of it uh, activated. I think for the players that are high risk or family members that are, and they're, let's just call it what it is, if they're financially secure, mm. they, they may opt out. But I, would, I think it's going to be a small amount of guys at the end of the day. Okay, here's the $64,000 question because I want to move on from, from preseason and uh, talk about some specific deals with you. But does the season start on time? Based on where we are now and the situation changes, Every day, it seems, but we're, what, 50 days, I think, Shefty tweeted earlier on uh, uh, from the start of the season. So does it start on time in, in your mind, based on what we know today? Yeah, I would say, if you asked me three weeks ago, I was 70% sure we would have. Mm-hmm. I think I'm probably like 55% we will. 
Now, I think one thing that's been underreported in all this is um, the city of Tampa Bay can host the Super Bowl well into March. So I think there's a notion out there that says, well, if we delay, we could then get in a fuller season and just push everything back, which is not ideal. But, you know, look, we're in a world right now that's not ideal. And in theory, every day we get closer to, to the vaccine. So I think that's really where um, I know some of the thinking is. Now, with that said, part of the concern is, like, could things get worse before we get the vaccine? Um, but my gut would be we probably start on time. We'll definitely play, I would say, at least a 14-game season. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was pushed back. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's talk some specific deals. And a couple that broke since uh, our last show, Miles Garrett in particular, uh, it's a five-year extension, $125 million. Of course, the record for a, a defensive player. It's a pretty incredible turnaround for him given – you know, the situation he found himself in with the Mason Rudolph incident. And at the time, lots of people were very uh, unequivocal and saying we might, he might not ever play the game again. I remember some people saying that. So Miles Garrett has rebounded well from that incident. Uh, what do you make of the deal? Is it a, is it a win-win deal? I, I think it's, yeah, I do. And the bottom line is, like, what he did was wrong. It was terrible. But the, the question you have to say to yourself in the front office is, like, what would a young pass rusher get out of the market? Um, and he would probably get at least that. And we're going to see the haves and the have-nots, and Miles Garrett's the next iteration of that. Um, the middle class could get hurt if the cap goes down, but it's not going to come from the quarterbacks or the young pass rushers. And he made an awful mistake, but it, but again, you know, he, um, he, he is the benefactor of there's not enough good, young, healthy, durable pass rushers. So that's, at the end of the day, that's going to be the final analysis. I heard you make a, a really interesting point about him, which might have been on, on Get Up, but I certainly uh, saw you when you were talking about the Garrett deal. You think he's, still, he's got upside. You think he can still get better? Yeah, because I think he has great tools. Um, I just think he's a guy that when it comes to like more of the nuances of like spins and, and sliding away from double teams, like I, I really got to know uh, Jason Taylor well. And Jason Taylor was a great pass rusher. And, and he just used to talk about things about when he get chipped – you know, he would use the momentum of getting chipped as like an inside spin move. And Jason was a really just a, just a great pass rusher and really worked at his craft. Um, and that's what I'm saying. Like the more miles plays, he's going to pick up some of these, you know, nuances that, um, you know, just come with experience, but he has so much upside. And I know this sounds weird, but like, I think he's actually like someone that cares deeply and is a good person and care. Like what he did was awful. Terror, like I, I couldn't, you know, be more like in the camp of it was an awful act. But sometimes good people make mistakes, and you have to believe that, you know, based on all his other actions, be it in college or as a pro, that he's doing things like working at his craft, um, is a pro, shows up on time, he's in shape, all the other indices that would represent that this guy is worthwhile to invest in. It's a great point. So an anomaly as opposed to the rule and, and yeah, you know heat of the moment yeah there's no condoning it of course no one rationally is going to look at that and condone it in any way but it was a heat of the moment uh uncharacteristic players what you saying, or um uncharacteristic moment chris jones four years 85 million dollars brett beach getting it done again he's very much the uh the, the midas touch right now isn't he yeah absolutely and um again i think what we're going to see there that's another example of when you look at the Chiefs over the next couple of years, Chris Jones is on the team, Patrick Holmes is on the team. It's probably going to come again. 
when I say the middle class guys like Sammy Watkins, he's a B player. Probably he's going to have to graduate. Um, the money's going to have to come from somewhere, and they're going to have the stars and then the young guys. So when we're talking about the Chiefs, we could be talking about their 2021 starting receiver coming from you know a mid round pick. Right, right. Which kind of makes sense. What about the Mahomes deal? I mean, I know it's uh, it's been talked about to death, but at the same time, getting your perspective on it from you know somebody who for a long time was cutting those those kind of deals is that another example of a, a of a win win deal where Mahomes is clearly is the <laughs> the biggest contract in sports history has landed what what he wants, but at the same time, the Chiefs have got barring uh, and the unforeseen barring injury got their franchise quarterback for the foreseeable future. It, it looks to yeah. be like you know, where both sides won. 100%. Absolutely. The thing I give Mahomes credit for specifically is he put his money where his mouth is, but he wanted to win and, and, and be a chief for life. You know, he could have signed a five-year deal. Nobody would have said, you know, criticize that and given right. him another quote unquote by the apple. So I give him a lot of credit. Just on the, the chiefs for a moment, because I mentioned Brett Beach is getting all the plaudits and rightly so he's, he's still uh, what he's in his third year right so he's still relatively new to the game but not relatively new to Andy Reid he goes way back with Andy Reid Andy Reid gave him his break so how important do you think that is in that dynamic that there is so much familiarity between the two yeah that's you know just part and parcel of the NFL you know you become part of these trees and you know Brett started at a very young age and worked his way up and I always you know uh, admire those types of people that was very similar to my career path. And, uh, you know, he certainly has paid his dues. And, you know, Andy brought, you know, Brett with him when he went to Kansas City, brought the trainer with him. Um, familiarity is just part and parcel of the NFL. I heard Brett Beach talking about playing in college uh, with Matt Nagy. They, they went back and, of course, they've both gone on to achieve a lot. Can you tell at a, a young age, when you're working with assistants and uh, they're, a, uh, they're a young uh, whether it's front office on the coaching side, assistants around you, can you tell and pick out the ones that you think, yeah, they're going a long way? 100%. I think it's very fundamental. Like, are you hiring people that bring value and solve problems and you give them an assignment and they meet or see that excitement, assignment? And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to be hired by Coach Belichick twice in my career and he just loaded up people and you just either sunk or swam. You know, like... It was that that basic and, you know, that book over your right shoulder of, uh, you know, written by Nicholas uh, Davidoff. You know, mm. um, it, it's really, it's a it's a great book. It, it touches in that, it's called Collision Low Crossers. It's a great book and it will give you some insight about what it's actually like to work for a team. It's a terrific book. We'll tweet out, we'll push out on our social channels at the NC shows, how you follow us incidentally there. One more for you. Talking of all these off-season deals, has COVID... Uh, and the COVID-affected preseason, has that given more leverage, do you think, to, to players and agents or, or teams, or is it neither? I think it just it's all contextual. So, you know, there's good players. I'm going to be doing something on this in social over the next day or two, but Devontae Freeman is a really good football player. You know, he, he, he's available. Jadavion Clowney is a really good football player, so I think it's hurt some of those players. Um, but others, Chris Jones, Patrick Mahomes, they're going to get their money. Um, so I, th I think some it has with uh, not being able to get the physicals. Um, and obviously, I think over the next two years, it's going to hurt some players in terms of their economics as well. Yeah, big time. It's uh, going to be a long play there. Mike, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately, with you. I mean, most importantly, I think you've got media opportunities, uh, other ones to do, but also uh, presumably a Peloton and a shake to get in in the next uh, hour and a half. So we better let you get to that. The, I, I got to tell you, like nobody has better product placement. I know our audience can't see you, but... Basically, 
you know, communication isn't what is said, it's what's heard. And what's <laughs> screaming is that you're a Peloton aficionado and get your lazy ass on the bike. You know, that's what you're telling all of us that, like you set a very high bar for all of us. So, like, it's, it's been very, very inspiring to be staring at your bike for the last 30 minutes. I'm glad. You see, it's all just drip feeding in there. Hey, they never phone. They never write. I haven't got a tweet from them if they're out there. Hey, we do drop these videos out there. And, and yet, even then, I, I need to labor the point even more, I think. But there we go. I'm glad. I can't we- believe if you don't have a Peloton deal with, with, mm. with this placement, I mean, what, yeah. what, what is it going to take, right? <laughs> My agent changes if that, if that doesn't get done. <laughs> you had it here first. Mike, great to catch up with you as ever. Look after yourself. Uh, keep safe. And we'll check in with you very soon, I hope. Oh, that sounds great. Appreciate you having me. Have a great day. Lovely stuff from Mike. Uh, looking forward to doing the next interview with him on a Peloton. Maybe we'll both be on Pelotons. It seems to be the ESPN way. Hey, maybe, maybe I am blazing a trail. Maybe I'm just following the herd. Either way, I feel just slightly more part of the family uh, with that news. Uh, let's move on and talk, talk to the ESPN family. John Keim, Washington Insider for two decades plus got some really interesting takes on what is going on for the Washington NFL franchise right now. So let's check in with him. Delighted to welcome to the show now ESPN's John Keim in Washington. John, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? I am very good indeed. And I reckon probably less frazzled, less frenetic than you are being a writer in Washington over the last 10 days. Is, is, it's been quite an interesting gig, I'd imagine. It has been very interesting, and I, I did a – the best way to describe it is I did a um, hit on SportsCenter last week where they asked me the same question, what's it been like? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm dealing for the last weeks with hundreds of phone calls and texts about you're talking to branding experts, trademark lawyers, you know, culture experts, et cetera. So I said it's, it's – it you know, you're dealing with um, a name change one day and sexual harassment cases the next. Nothing to do really with football. Right. So I said, it's like, you know, the movie Jason Bourne, the car chases. Mm. I said, I felt like in a Jason Bourne car chase. You're going down the road 100 miles an hour. You slam on the brakes and you're going in a different direction 100 miles an hour. That's what it's felt like. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let's start with, uh, with, with the former then and, and, and the name change because there's still a, a huge amount to, to – to get resolved. I, I think that's what I want to concentrate on with you is, is the logistics now that it has been uh, official or has been made official that the, the franchise has, has formally acknowledged that it's moving away from the Redskins. So to, it needs to announce a, a new name and, and going into this season, the big if it starts on time, it's not uh, at all practical or, or pragmatic to think that the new name will be applied in time for this season, right? We're 50 days away from the start of the season if it starts on time. Well, I do think they'll have a name, and I do think they'll have it soon. And mm. I even, I, you know, just a little plug on my podcast, the John Kime Report. I did, I mentioned this the other day on there, but I think it'll be soon. I think mm. there's no, I think it's just a matter of what are there delays with it or not. But I, so I think it'll be definitely in time for the season. Now they may not, they wouldn't have it necessarily trademarked by then, but they could start using a name as they apply for the trademark, and so. Know, the first step is you can start using it then you apply for the trademark or as you apply for the trademark you can use it so I do think they'll have something in place now the only thing what I don't know is it is this the is, are they going to have a placeholder name or would it be this is the official new name but I do think that there will be something in place 
relatively soon. But presumably they can't uh, roll out anything like merchandise or the application the of that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be untenable, right, by the, for the start Correct. of the season. You're absolutely right. That's the hard part with this is that the branding aspect of it, because the, the cost involved here for a team, any team changing a name is about signage, merchandise, you know, stationary. You're not going to have all that stuff rolled out. You just, you can't, you know, like whatever logos you have. I mean, I think anytime you talk to the brand experts, it says like it's going to take eight months to a year to really get that logo and the branding right. So mm. I think that would be awfully hard. If they have it all out by now, then that, you know, that would be record time. And so, you know, and it could be that you have a placeholder logo the Baltimore Ravens did this. They kind of had a logo initially, and then they developed another one as they went along. I yep. could see something like that, just to have something on there yep. and then develop it over the next year. And, and that's uh, obviously going to be a massive consideration for, for Daniel Snyder, who uh, is, is running a business, as, uh, as we're often reminded. And I guess that's what uh, was the catalyst here, right? The, the, the pressure from sponsors ultimately uh, proved to be uh, provide the tipping point. What about the fans' perspective on all of this? John, how have the Washington fans reacted to this news? That, that, that's all over the place. It is all over the place. I think there's, and I'm going to, you know, there's a segment that I think will probably, that have said that I've seen on social media and friends that I've talked to who say, I'm done. I'm done with it because they're just, part of it is there's just so much always with this franchise. I think it's beating people down. I think that's it. And the name change for some people, that's like the last straw for them. And because they didn't see the, the, what was so wrong with it, whether people agree with them or not, that's the feeling. So there's going to be a segment of that. I think there's also a segment that is like, well, I don't like their, that they're changing it. I'm still going to root for them because it's still the same franchise. Right. And there's also a segment. I mean, there's two more segments. One is, yeah, we're, you know, they've been saying Washington or they'll just say like, there's a local host, Doc Walker, who used to play for the franchise who called him the Burgundy and Gold because he just stopped, he really stopped trying to use it. Mm. So, you know, I think they'll be happy to actually use the name again. And then mm. the thing I'm curious to see, do they pick up any new fans because of this? Right. You know, do you pick up, because like, with, if you develop the right logo, you develop the right, you know, the um, right name, and is it, is it different for people? Does it breathe some life into what has been a stale franchise? So, mm. Now, I think the key to that is still winning. You're still going to have to win to bring. But I do think that there's a generation of fans in the Washington area who have maybe – it's a transient area, so they've maybe latched onto their parents' team mm. more so than the local team because the local team, they haven't given them any reason to root for. Maybe this makes them more interesting and you know, leads to maybe develop, helping to develop a, fan, a younger fan base because they're not, it's just not happening right now. It's a great point. It's a great point you make. It's, those who – don't like the name change and as you say different people have different opinions one of the things that i find hard to rationalize with that is we're talking about a league uh, an organization where teams can relocate and move to an entirely different part of the country and and disappear right. that's a significant change compared to this in in my mind but but i appreciate that if you've had association and a lifelong connection with with something that that it might you might approach that differently. Where does this leave? And I guess this is a question that is connected with the other big news of, of the last week or so. The story that it, that ran in the post, uh, of course, and there was a lot right. of buzz building up to it. There was uh, word was out that something was going to run, and it ran, I think, almost exactly this time last week. Uh, Fifteen former 
employees, female employees of, of, of the franchise, uh, describing all kinds of incidents of, of sexual harassment uh, and, and inappropriate behavior. Now, it's important to note when we talk about this that, that Daniel Snyder wasn't individually uh, implicated. Right. Uh, and so I, I wonder whether this has some bearing on my next question. Is there going to be any possibility, given this controversy, that Daniel Snyder will have his hand forced and uh, the NFL will apply a lot of pressure on him to get out of Washington and sell the franchise? A lot of Washington fans would probably welcome the, that news. I don't think, based on what I've heard, based on what I've been told, I don't think that we're at that point right now. And my understanding is he doesn't have any intention to sell this franchise. I know that some of the minority owners are getting, they want to sell. Um, there's three of them. There's, they own 40%, about 40% of the franchise. They want to sell. So that's a curious thing to see what happens with that area going forward. But I don't get the sense that he wants to sell. I don't get the sense yet that the NFL is going to say, you have to sell. Like there was a situation with um, Carolina's owner, Jerry right. Richardson. Jerry Richardson was directly accused of these charges. Yes. Same charges, but directly accused. That forced the NFL to go and say, we can't accept that. Um, so mm. because of that, I think, you know, the, the Washington does have a lawyer, Beth Wilkinson, high-powered attorney. She's coming in and she's going to investigate in this franchise what has been going on. I think from there, whatever she finds, um, I think that will determine what the NFL will do. I don't really, I don't think I get that sense that they're going to force his hand with that. Because you have to have like two-thirds young, or I think it's 24 out of the 32 or 24 out of 31 owners yeah. agree to it. But I think yeah. then it sets up a precedent for a lot of other owners that they may be afraid that, well, right. if you look into our place, what are they going to find? Because this doesn't go on all over. But, you know, I think there are other places where you maybe you might – Maybe there'll be a little bit worried, so you don't want to do it for this. I don't know. But I think the other factor here, Nat, is that this the franchise has not been a good one. It is, it is supposed to be one of the hallmark franchises in the NFL, and it hasn't been. I think that's been driving some owners crazy or, or frustrated because they're not – like when you see um, a Washington game that's where the stands are barely half full, yeah. that's an issue for the league. That is sure. even separate of all the other stuff going on. I think that is something, the combination of all that could put some pressure on him to at least, if nothing else, what the league needs to do is to have him make some substantial changes in the organization to make it a better one. And, you know, if he's not going to listen, then I think I could see a day where they start to force his hand a little bit. But I think we're a few years, I think, as of right now, that would be a few years from that. Well, that brings us neatly to, to end on uh, a bit of football because, hey, uh, it's always good to talk some football in the <laughs> middle of all this. So Mike Tannenbaum uh, was on our show earlier saying that the teams he thinks are going to suffer the most from this uh, COVID-influenced preseason are the ones who have got the most amount of change amongst its key right. protagonists. So head coaches, quarterbacks, uh, key uh, coordinators and so on. And of course, Washington uh, are very much in that situation certainly on, right. on the coaching side you know altogether different coaching personnel you've got uh a young quarterback if not a rookie quarterback where the jury is still well and truly right. out so factoring all of this in and, and all of this turbulence and whether that has an impact or not on, on what we end up seeing on the field what would represent a, a successful first season for Ron Rivera, do you think, in terms of, on the base we have a full season, right. in terms of uh, you know, a win-loss record and what, what the expectation level is this year? 
And that's a great question, Ed, because that, that's the hard part is when you have a, a quarterback in Dwayne Haskins going into a second year, learning a new offense, it's, you know, and then not being able to – you can process and start to learn it in the classroom, on your own, on the field, whatever, or about by yourself with some people helping you. But you've got to be able to institute it with everybody around you. They all have to be on that, quote, unquote, same page as well. So it's mm. not just about Haskins learning it, but about everybody else learning it and then getting it together. Right. That's difficult. I think that's – it's not impossible. It's just difficult. And for a young quarterback, they're one of the few teams in that, in that situation. You don't know how it's going to go. But I think what would represent a successful season for them is looking at the second half of the year. I fully expect them to struggle in the first half for the reason you state. They have a young team. I like a lot of their young talent. I, I do. I think there's a good base there. I think that this coaching staff will be good for this, for this franchise. Um, so that's all good. But – to go do it right away is really hard. So if they improve over the second half of the year, if, you know, if, if the, not just Dwayne Haskins, but if he has a good second half, I think fans will be excited for the future because then you can see like, oh, okay, the kid's getting it. That's mm -hmm. what they want to see. That gives them some hope. So if you can, if they can go, let's say they go, you know, in the first seven or eight games or two and five or two and six, but then they finish with like, you know, four or five wins in the second half, I think that would represent a strong season for them because, again, you want to see the progress. If you see progress, that's – and I think they – I would say this. I think they understand the situation they're in very well mm. and, the, and the challenges that, that lie ahead and what would represent success. And I do think it's that second half of the year finish. And then you guys say, like, what does Chase Young provide the impact you hope? If he right. does – and you know, hey, you struck there. And if Dwayne Hassan's come through, then you know, hey, you got the QB position solved. Because whatever, they're almost in a luxurious position in some ways in that they have the young talent. They know they're going to take some lumps. So play these guys, see what you got, right. and really be aggressive building for what you need next offseason. So this is a process, and they're really, they're in step one. So I think that's what, you know, that's a long answer, but I think that's what would represent success. No, it's a terrific answer. And, and, it's, a, and it's a great point you make. If you just have to look at the, the Miami Dolphins, for example, as a, a good example of a team that ended strongly, that went into the offseason with a huge amount of optimism of buzz. And of course, what they've continued to do with, with the draft and their acquisitions. And there's a huge amount of positivity. 12 months ago, they were the laughing stock of the NFL. So uh, Washington, and, and I agree with you, right. I love what they've done with the coaching positions, you know, it, it, obviously particularly Rivera but Del Rio it just there is a huge amount of experience in that in that setup now which offsets so so well against the, the young side John really really great to, to chat to you thanks for dropping by the John Kime Report is your podcast our listeners can, uh, can download and that's available on all good podcasts I know all good there and I actually talked to Liz Clark this week about that story that ran in the, in the Washington Post and I have Vernon Davis on this week former Washington tight end now an actor had some interesting things to say. So, you know, we're trying to bring football back to the podcast, just like you. I mean, it's hard to yeah. cover this franchise and not talk about football, but we're getting back to that point, I believe. So thanks for having me on that. Enjoyed the chat. Absolute pleasure. I did as well. Look after yourself, John, and catch up with you soon, I hope. Thank you. Great stuff. Two fine guests, if I say so myself. I'm sure you agree. And we're back with more next week, dropping more as we build up to the start, we hope, of the 2020 NFL season at the NC Show, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and incidentally, gang, if you haven't already, drop us a review on whichever platform you listen to because 
keeps our sponsors happy. It keeps the whisper this ESPN happy. Ollie, the producer, Harry, everybody puts a big smile on their face and it helps people find the show as well. So if you have two minutes, that would be massively appreciated. And we will catch up with you next week. Look forward to it. Podcast Network.